Good morning, 4th Avenue fam. We are excited to be with you here with you today, this morning. Um, yes, a lot of people are sick. I'm not going to pretend like I'm 100%. I mean, I'm not. Who is? I think a lot of people are kind of sick. Kind of past the point, point of essential oils. We're on to like DayQuil and NyQuil now. Um, first week, you can kind of swing that. The coughing, I don't know if it was everyone being sick. It might have been our communion bread. I'm not sure. Who knows? Um, a lot of, lot of sickness going around. But we are honored to be here with you guys this morning for sure. Um, Christmas just happened. A lot of you probably had something going on with Disney, right? There was a Disney ornament. We got a Lion King ornament. I was excited about it. Um, I might have gotten that for myself. Uh, there was probably, you watched Disney Plus. Maybe you even got a trip to Disney World. Big things. Maybe you went to go see Frozen 2. If you haven't, it's real good. Go see it. Ada's even got an Elsa shirt on today. So, yeah, Frozen's an awesome movie. But Disney World's a magical place. The best time I ever went to Disney was in 1999. I got to go with my family, youngest of four, girl, four girls. Being the youngest, my sisters had already gone to Disney before. But the first time I got to go to Disney, we got to go with my adopted sister, Susie. Susie, as you can see in this picture, is in a wheelchair. For those of you who have been to Disney World, cool, you've enjoyed it. Most magical place ever. If you haven't been to Disney World with someone in a wheelchair, let me tell you about the experience. It is way better. This is what you get to do. You get to cut all of the lines. And when I say cut the lines, I don't mean like you're at Space Mountain and you're trying to get by people and get up to the front. No, there's a different entrance. Truly, you get to go to a different entrance, you get to the roller coaster, it comes to the front, and they say, pick your seat. You get to pick. You want the front? You got it. You want the back? You got it. You get to sit anywhere in the roller coaster. And then you get to ride the roller coaster twice. Twice. It's amazing. No line. And then not only that, for all the shows, you get to sit in the front. For all the characters, you go up to, you don't even have to wait in line to see Mickey Mouse. There's a picture of us and Mickey Mouse right here. This next slide. Didn't have to wait in line for that. What? Is that not amazing? It was the best thing ever. So then when I went to Disney World again in high school, I didn't have my sister who was in a wheelchair with me. Lines, man. Like, lots of them. For hours. Not the same experience. Susie came into our lives and everything changed. Now, Disney World with Susie, most magical experience ever. There were other things in our world growing up. Having a sister who has a physical disability it impacted our lives in different ways. There were some areas where we were limited, some places where we couldn't really go. I remember a tough conversation. Our church had rented out Brentwood Skate Center one night, Smyrna Skate Center. And we were thinking about going, and there was this conversation of, well, you know, Susie can't skate. Well, what does this look like? There were some limited conversations that happened. But overall, Susie came in, and everything changed for me. And my whole world was better, even though there were areas that were limited. So we're going to dive into scripture, and so you can begin turning to Luke 8, either in a paper Bible or on your phone. Um, as you're turning there, some of you may not be familiar with the book of Luke. So it's the third gospel, also the third book in the New Testament, and all the gospels are stories about Jesus, right? And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them tell the story that we're going to look at today that will start in verse 26. But leading up to this, Jesus has been teaching on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and you talk about crowds. The crowd was so big for Jesus that his family, his own brothers and sisters, could not reach him. So things are going really well. He's teaching. The crowds are growing. He's teaching parables. He's healing people. And then he crosses over the Sea of Galilee. There's a big storm. 
He calms it, no big deal. They make it to the other side, okay? So long story short, they come to the other side where things are going to be a lot different. So join me in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasens, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let him, them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. All right, so verse 26, we're going to dive into this. First three words, then they sailed. You're like, whoa, we're already stopping at the first three words. <laughs> but yes, we are, because then they sailed has significant, significant meaning here. Jesus in Galilee, he's been healing people. He's accepted there so much so, as Brian mentioned, there's crowds, his family can't get to him. And then they sailed, went across to the opposite side of the lake. The Gerasons weren't accepting Jesus yet. He could have, this is a comfort zone moment, right? So like, he could have stayed over here where everyone's totally like, Jesus, no, maybe not everyone, Jesus, and then goes to the opposite side of the lake where he's not as well accepted. So opposite side here, double meeting. Yes, it is the opposite side. But there's also an opposite way that they are receiving him. He could have just stayed there, but he didn't. He went across and sailed. And so when he gets there, I think what's interesting is that the demons that are inside this man recognize Jesus before Jesus even says a word. And you might think, well, Jesus was a very known figure during the time. And yes, that's true. But the people on the other side of the sea weren't tweeting out, man, this guy has really great sermons. Jesus is so cool. Here's a picture, right? So he shows up. Before he even says a word, the demons recognize Jesus and they fear him. And for me, anytime that I'm, you know, talking about spiritual warfare or hearing stories, sometimes you can get a little bit uncomfortable because there's stuff going around you that you can't control, right? And that can be a little bit intimidating, but to me, so that verse reminded me of James 2, 9, where James is saying, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So we have the God, we're on the side where they recognize Jesus and they tremble at him. And so verse 29 is giving us a picture of what this man's life was like. And honestly, he didn't really have a life, right? He didn't have a home. He lived in the tombs. They would bound him and put him in chains and he would break free and go out into the desert and the cycle would continue. He didn't have friends there with him. He didn't have family there with him. He was a total social outcast. And so that's what his life was like before Jesus shows up. So Jesus asks him, what is your name? And the demons reply, legion. And, um, and Matthew and Mark, it says, legion for we are many. And so this legion represents a number, and the number itself is not important, but it's used symbolically to represent that there's a large amount of demons in this man, that this is a really big problem. And so earlier in Luke, it talks about Mary Magdalene in verse 2 saying that she had seven demons. So it's like seven compared to thousands. This is a really big problem for this man and for this community. 
And so Jesus shows up and he proves that he has authority over the demons. They immediately tremble and they fear him. And then he proves why he's in charge. And so he sends them into the pigs, but only through his permission. When it just says, so he gave them permission. That's the only way that these demons were going to be moving anywhere was under the authority that Jesus had. We're going to pick it back up in verse 33. Again, this is Luke 8. You want to read along. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they, the people, were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all of the people of the country of the, Jer you got it, and Jerisons. Brian knows how to pronounce that word real well. Yep, here we go. Good teamwork, right? Yeah, awesome. Jerisons asked him to depart for them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, this is Jesus' words right here, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, the man, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So this, this verse 33 to 35 with these pigs going in, if I envision like a cartoon, a ton of pigs like running down a hill and they're like trampling each other and going into the water, it's kind of a funny scene in my head. But then realizing for these people, these townspeople, this is food. And this is a lot of animals. For them, it's like we've been living with the crazy man and now all of these pigs are dead. Like these are our pigs, what the heck? That's crazy. But the people, so the people wouldn't have just been afraid. They would have been mad. Like, we've been tolerating the crazy man. He doesn't bother us anymore because we're used to it. But then Jesus comes and now our pigs are dead? What in the world? It's so easy when we're in a situation but we're not close up enough to realize what Jesus is doing. I think a lot of us have probably been there, right? Where we're like far away enough to be like the cost of the pigs. What? But there's a man's life here. A man who has been completely healed. And we're not to make the judgment on how much the pigs are worth. It's not pigs for us. It's probably other things, right? So it's like if we're sitting with Jesus and discerning and processing and we're sitting and we're having clarity, then how much more so are we putting ourselves in a moment where we're able to say the man was healed. Who cares about the dadgum pigs, right? But it's so easy when we're afar from the situation to be like, Jesus, what are you doing? The pigs. In a podcast that I was recently listening to by John Mark Comer by Bridgetown Church, great podcast. I can share it with you. I'm like Jenny Bell. We love some podcasts. Um, lots of good options out there. But he said, it is so much harder to be empathetic when we haven't been in silence. We are way more likely to be empathetic for someone when we've sat alone with Jesus. Even my sister Rebecca recently was telling me how the further on that the day goes, the more likely we're to be reactionary with our emotions. And I'm sure some of you relate to this, right? The further on that the day goes, we can be more upset or frustrated about that other thing that happened. So if we really try to take that time to silence ourselves, to be with the Lord, then maybe when we drop something or the kid rolls something over or the dog chews the throw pillow, that's happened to me before, anyways, 
if something happens, maybe we're less reactionary of so frustrated and angry when we take a step back and maybe respond with a kingdom lens. But are we even able to do that if we haven't taken the moment to sit with him? And so earlier we saw what his life was like before Jesus, right? So he was the crazy, violent man in chains, possessed by the demons. And then in verses 35 and 36, we see his life after he's met Jesus, like immediately after he's met Jesus. So he goes from that to sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. There's no more dramatic transformation that can happen for this man. Nothing crazier could have happened for his day than what happened. And so him sitting at the feet of Jesus is not just his physical position, but it's a posture of learning. He was sitting there learning from Jesus. And as we see later, Jesus tells him, go and tell people what has happened here today. This man later becomes a missionary for Jesus where 24 hours before, no one would have thought that would even be possible. And so me, I, I grew up in the church, I grew up in this church, and I never had a day like this one, right? I never had the, before I met Jesus, I was, you know, listing all of these horrible things. And now I'm enlisting all of these positive things. There was never a day like that for me. And that's okay, because we're not all going to have those stories. Some people do, and they're amazing. And we need all of the stories but it's okay not to have a dramatic transformation like this where you go from zero to 100 with God. But it's not okay to not have a transformative relationship with Jesus. Because when we meet him, and maybe it's not meeting him for the first time, maybe it's meeting Jesus for the thousandth time or the ten thousandth time. He needs to be transforming our life. And when we really show up and take him seriously, he's going to do amazing things in our lives. So this verse 37 through 39, when the man comes to Jesus and he's like, okay, I want to go with you. I'm on board. I'm on your team. And Jesus is about to get back on the boat and go back to these people that were accepting him, right? These crowds of people. Can we think about how challenging it would have been for Jesus to say, stay here. Stay here and tell people what God has done for you. That's what Jesus said. Which, by the way, humble move, Jesus, for you to say what God has done for you. Three in one. It's also you, but you said God instead of me. Like, what a guy, right? Even in that moment, he's not even taking the credit. Jesus. Man, that's a humility pill for all of us. But anyways, he looks at the man, he says, tell the people what God has done for you. When I put myself, let's, let's all put ourselves in this moment with Jesus. Thinking through, he's healed this man, he's had this crazy experience, and now these people here aren't going to accept him. That's a bonding moment. This guy's on fire for the Lord at this point. It would have been so easy for Jesus to say, come with us. Like, come be a disciple. Let's go do this. Let's get some churches rolling. Let's have fun. And he says, no, you stay here. I believe that this is a sacrificial moment from Jesus for sake of the kingdom. And it's twofold. Let's put ourselves thinking through this demon-possessed. It's so sad that he's called the demon-possessed man because he's not demon-possessed at the end, guys. Poor guy. He got stuck in scripture with the demon-possessed man. I wish he had a name for sure. But anyways, the not-so-demon-possessed man anymore. Let's put ourselves with him. He, he has to take himself away. Jesus says, go tell. Jesus is right there. He has saved his life. And he's about to get in a boat and go to the other side. 
we have to remember the moments when Jesus doesn't feel like he's right next to us, when we don't feel like we've seen him in a while and he feels like he's on the other side of the sea, we have to remember what he has done for us and speak his name. The truth of the saving that he has done in our lives. I'm reminded of um, Jesus calming the storm, which is right before this in Luke 8. But it's also, this is so cool. Scripture, I love that Jennifer was talking about the importance of Scripture earlier. It's not just what it says. I believe that location can also teach us some really cool things in Scripture too. And I found this out studying this story and I'm really excited to share it with you. In Matthew and Mark and in Luke, we have the story of Jesus calming the storm and the story of healing this demon-possessed man. I'm like looking at my New Testament exegetical teacher, Mike Williams, right now, and I'm like, I hope I'm saying this right. I am. I studied it. Anyways, <laughs> for you, teach. Okay, so, um, so in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we have Jesus calming the storm, and then we also have Jesus healing the demon-possessed man. Hang with me. This is really cool. In all three, it's immediately after. The order of all the Gospels isn't the same in all of them. You might get like the Sermon on the Mount in one area, the sermon separated in a different area over here, this parable here, this parable there. But in all three of these Gospels, this is the order. Why? I believe that Jesus is showing us that he has power over the physical and then he shows us he has power over the spiritual. Because Jesus calming the storm, for those of you who don't know the story, real quick, what happens? They're on a boat. Storm comes, they're totally going to die, and they wake up Jesus because he was sleeping in a storm. What? Okay, wish I had that power. That's a fun one. Sleeping in a storm, they wake him up, he calms the storm, they live. Somewhat simple, but also wild. Jesus has power over the physical. That's a little bit easier for us to understand than this power over the spiritual, the spiritual realm of these demons. He's got power over the physical and power over the spiritual. But we're not just taught that with order of scripture. We're taught that with our natural innate beings. I think of a child. If I'm holding one of my nephews and he starts crying. Let's say he starts crying and the answer is not pacifier. But it's, he starts crying. Oh, he just wants his mama. Anyone? No? Are you guys here with me? He just wants his mama. He just wants his mama. Why? Because she's held him. She's fed him. We understand dads do things too. We're very grateful. Go dads that are changing diapers. We're so proud. But he wants his mama, someone that has provided, someone that has fed him. We, when we are provided for our physical needs, we cling to that. That's a natural desire. A child reaches for their mom. Jesus shows us in calming the storm that he has power over the physical. They were going to die and then they didn't. And so then in this story, immediately going to power over the spiritual in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Paul spe speaks of bringing holiness to completion by body and spirit. I'm going to say that again. Bringing holiness to completion by body and spirit. And with these two stories parallel multiple times, getting the point over in our head, Jesus has power over the physical and the spiritual. And this man in this story can't help but claim Jesus' name. Just like a baby crying for mom because he has provided so as Brandon was talking about earlier, this is a very natural time between Christmas before New Year's to start thinking about resolution. And I don't know about you, but for me, even hearing that word, I kind of stiff arm it a little bit because, you know, there's all the stats about the resolutions never work, they never last. But just think about changes that you want to make in your life. We don't have to use that word. But when we look at something, let's, let's say you hear from Christians a lot, I wish I had more time to 
read the Bible. I wish I was able to pray more often. I wish I could fast more often, but I can't um, for different reasons. And each of the disciplines or any type of spiritual goal that you're going to set is going to come at a cost. So reading the Bible every morning to start the day is going to come at a cost. It could just be the time, but there's also the things that you could be doing with that time, right? And so in this story, there's two different perspectives on the cost. There's the townspeople's perspective. So the cost is the pigs, right? The pigs drown and die. See, Alan, and if your livestock all drowned in one day, that's going to be a big hit. Not good. They're looking at it from the earthly perspective. They lost all their money. So that we can't really relate to that unless you are a farmer because our money doesn't hop out of our wallet and then go drown in a lake. But taking a big financial hit is what happened here. And they're upset about that and they want Jesus to leave. But the man, how many more pigs would he have been fine with drowning in the lake if his life was going to be transformed? Because he has the kingdom perspective on that cost. And yes, there is a cost, but we have to see it through the kingdom lens. And so everyone's going to go back to work tomorrow. And almost every Monday morning, the question that's asked around offices is, how was your weekend? And most people give somewhat boring answers. Oh, it was good. Just not long enough. And then by Wednesday, it's, we're halfway to Friday, halfway to the weekend. And then Friday, what are you going to do this weekend? So there's all these responses that kind of go every week. So imagine this man going back to his old job, comes in Monday morning, this happened on the weekend, and someone says, how was your weekend? And he's, oh, it was good. Not long enough. There's no way that he could say that. There's no way, because his life was completely transformed. His life was completely transformed by his interaction with Jesus. And so what I want us to think about as we enter into 2020, you probably haven't had a moment this dramatic this year. Maybe you have. But we've had interactions with Jesus, right? Whether that's through hearing a sermon or worshiping or praying. There's all these different ways that we encounter Jesus and that he affects our life. But sometimes we don't look back at those moments to see how that's supposed to affect how we move forward. So as we enter into 2020, let's look back at 2019 and ask ourselves the question, how has Jesus shaped or changed my life this year? And your answer is going to go in one of two different ways. You might be sitting there thinking, I don't really know that he has. And that's okay. And so you're going to go a certain direction with it of, how can I order my life to have more encounters with Jesus so that he can transform me and shape me into the person that he wants me to be? Or you might be the person that you have a long list of things. Jesus has rocked my world this year. He has completely turned my life around in one way or the other. And so you look ahead and say, how has this encounter, or how should this, these encounters shape where I'm going in the future? So Jesus' impact on your life should shape the direction of your life. The impact that Susie made on my life growing up will forever be with me, and she still impacts my life today. I can't get through a ton of conversations about siblings without talking. If Disney World, I'm going to bring up going with Susie. And some of you, even the students know, like for those of you that have been to Guatemala, know how impactful she is. 
to see someone who is in a wheelchair, who is constantly smiling and has nothing to complain about, changes your life. We have people in our life like that, right? I think of yesterday at Spencer Day's service here, everyone was just speaking of how he affected their life for the positive. Because an interaction with Spencer was an interaction with the kingdom. And without even taking a step or saying a word, as Debbie and Matt put so beautifully in the program, he was impacting the kingdom in a magical way. It was so cool. And we have people like that. I want you to think of a person like that for you. That you just know when you interact with them, it helps you become more like Jesus. And then we also have Jesus here. We just celebrated this whole season gearing up. Some of your, you and your families might have even done Advent studies or something. We talked about Jesus coming for these past months. We prepared and we cooked and we wrapped and we did all these things. And I know I said this at the Christmas Eve service, but the promise is that he is coming. But it's twofold. He is here and he is coming. He is here now. We just celebrated him coming. So he's here and he is coming. And so we have these people that have impacted our life, and Jesus has even done more of that, more so. And as cheesy as it sounds, don't really care. A, a, one day with Jesus is way better than even Disney World with Susie, and that was pretty stinking amazing. And I, I want to be the type of person that just can't help but talk about it. This man that was healed, he can't help but come up to you and be like, I know I seem like I'm so crazy, but I'm not. I'm just crazy in love with the Lord, right? It's twofold. He is here and he is coming. And so what does it look like for us to truly live like it? It's a promise. Both of them. We've just celebrated that he's here. And so what does it look like for me if I want to be the type of person that really believes that he is here and that he is coming? That leaves me in some moments of frustration. It's like I said the other night too. There's moments of like, okay, God, I've been praying and praying for Harrison to be healed. Why is Ellie still having headaches? Why can't Luke's headaches be gone? We've been praying for these things. We've been praying for these things. And I don't have the answer to those questions and that pain. But I hold on to the hope-filled promise that he is here and he is coming. So I want you to think back to uh, having a substitute teacher in grade school. And some of you are still in grade school. And that was always one of my favorite days in school because you show up and you know you're not going to get anything done, right? And you also know that you're not going to have as much homework, if you have any at all, because your teacher's not there, you're not learning new material, and so you walk in, you see some random name on the board, and for me, that was always a good day. With substitute preachers, it can be a little bit different. We can be more likely to, to challenge you or to have you think about something because we don't have to get back up there the following week. So, as I talked about earlier, I want you to think about a few things. So this is not an assignment as much as it is asking you to consider a few things. So the first step is to pray and ask God to reveal some things in your life that are keeping you from fully being who he has called you or created you to be. So all of us have some amount of space between where we are and where we could be if we are fully faithful to God. And so then, once you have that answer, and that could take a few weeks, that's going to take some time and some prayer and some conversations with others around you. So the second thing is to consider the best way within your context, so your life, your job, your family, your schedule, what's something that needs to change? 
And then also thinking about your community, right? If it's just you and you tell yourself you're going to do this, I didn't look up any stats, but I know that the stats would say you're way more likely if you get an accountability partner or you have a group of people doing it with you or asking about it throughout the year and throughout your life. So we're going to close with my favorite verse that talks about this. Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So when Jesus truly impacts our life, we're going to see the cost through his eyes, and that's going to change everything for us. Let's sing.